Lessons in Tanya. The Tanya of Rabbi Schneir Zalman of Liadi. Taught by Rabbi Ben-Zion Krasniansky. Tanya's text elucidated by Rabbi Yosef Weinberg. We're in the middle of chapter 35, just to recap. But Al-Tarebi, the question Al-Tarebi asked is, he says, why is it? Why did Hashem send our neshama, our soul, into this world when we cannot really change our physical, our body, our egos? What's the point of the, of the struggle? And as the Rebbe pointed out, his question is, he already answered this question earlier. We already discussed it earlier. Hashem gets tremendous pleasure when a person overcomes his evil inclination, when a person overcomes his ego, when a person breaks himself and does the right thing. It gives Hashem tremendous pleasure. So he already answered this question. What's he asking this question again? And the Rebbe explained that the question that the Rebbe is asking is, that if it were a struggle between the godly soul, the divine soul, and the animal soul, of course, then it would make sense that every time the godly soul wins over the animal soul, triumphs over the animal soul, it gives Hashem tremendous pleasure. But the whole Torah mitzvot is set up in a way that it's not that the, the divine soul is engaged in things that touch the divine soul. For example, meditation spiritual things, sublime things that really talk to the divine soul. And the divine soul ignores the animal soul, the ego, the body, the physical. But we find the whole Torah mitzvot is that the divine soul has to engage in the body. The body has to do the mitzvot. In order for the divine soul to be connected with Hashem, it must do the mitzvot. So the question is, why is, the, why is the Torah mitzvah set up in a, such a way that the divine soul has to, engage in, in the, has to engage the body? And without that, it's not connected to God. That's true of almost all the mitzvot that are physical. You have to physically light the match and light the candle, to light the Shabbat candles. You have to physically give tzedakah, the money that you earn money, the ultimate ego symbol, and you have to dig into your pocket and give it away to tzedakah, to charity. All of the mitzvot are physical. But even the spiritual mitzvot, for example, the mitzvah of prayer. According to Jewish law, if you sit and you meditate, prayer is a time to focus, to meditate, to refresh your soul, refresh your connection, to reconnect, Recenter yourself spiritually. Yet if you come to synagogue and you sit in synagogue, close your eyes and meditate and you float in a different dimension, higher levels of consciousness, not only haven't you fulfilled the mitzvah of prayer, you've violated the mitzvah of prayer. Unless you move your lips, you physically move your lips. It's unique to the Jewish people. You walk into a house of worship, a house of prayer, everyone is quiet quiet, eyes closed, meditating, thinking. You walk into a Jewish house of prayer, someone who's not used to it, it's very strange. Everyone is talking to themselves. You know, everyone is speaking. Prayer is a time of quiet, solitude. Why is everyone talking? 
And unless you speak and say the words of prayer, Shema Yisrael, you can't just close your eyes and think Shema Yisrael. You have to physically say Shema Yisrael Hashem, Ken Hashem. So even the sublime mitzvah, the spiritual mitzvah, must engage your body. And even more so, what is prayer all about? What is the mitzvah of Shema? The mitzvah of Shema is to fulfill the mitzvah that's stated in the Shema, to love Hashem with your heart. The mitzvah of loving Hashem also has to be physical. It's not enough to love Hashem in an abstract, sublime, spiritual way. Just like the mitzvot, as the previous Lubavitcher Rebbe writes, just like the mitzvot are physical, for example, the mitzvah of tefillin, the mitzvah of tefillin have to physically be on your head, have to be physically on your arm, you have to feel it on your arm, you have to feel it lying on your arm, feel it lying on your head. So to the mitzvah of loving Hashem, when you're fulfilling a mitzvah, the mitzvah of loving Hashem, it has to be physical, meaning it has to physically affect you. Just like a human love, a physical love. Imagine you're in a bad mood. You're having a hard day. Everything that could go wrong is going wrong. And suddenly, out of the blue, you bump into your best friend. Surprisingly. You don't expect it. You haven't seen them in a while. The physical pleasure that you'll feel in your heart, suddenly your mood will clear. You'll be excited. You'll feel hopeful full of energy, you feel energized before you were drained and now suddenly you, because of you bumped in you, because of this encounter you physically feel the difference this love that you have to your friend is something you can physically feel and it physically shifts your whole mood around so too when you love Hashem that love, when do you know that you fulfill the mitzvah of loving Hashem if it's all in your head and it's abstract that you haven't fulfilled the mitzvah because all of the mitzvah must be fulfilled physically how do you fulfill the mitzvah of loving, loving the divine physically? It has to affect you physically. That even if things are, going, are not going so well, but the, your love of Hashem literally lifts up your spirit. Just like if you bumped into your best friend. It gives you hope. It gives you a, 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 enthusiasm. You know, anyone who was fortunate to see the Rebbe, the Lubavitcher Rebbe, after he finished praying, it was like, it was like a renewed person. You saw his walk. It was like his face was radiating, shining, like he was refreshed. Like he just went to the best spot, the best vacation, refreshed, re rejuvenated, pun intended, reinvigorated, walking with a fast gait, full of energy, ready to tackle the day. Because the prayer was an encounter with God. It was real. And it's physically, you saw physically, you saw it in his face, in his character, the way he carried himself. It was a different way he walked into synagogue and the way he walked out of synagogue. It was a different person. So when have you fulfilled the mitzvah of loving Hashem only if it affects your bodily, physically? And the same thing with the mitzvah of being in awe of Hashem, being afraid of Hashem, and fear of Hashem. It has to be physical. When you're standing in the presence of greatness, imagine you were standing next to Einstein. You would feel like a squash bug. You would feel insignificant. You would feel like a baby. You would feel like a child, like you haven't even started so unintelligent, like you haven't even... It would whet your appetite to learn, to start, to seek. Because as accomplished as you are, when you're standing next to greatness, suddenly it humbles you. <laughs> it makes you feel very humble and very small and very tiny, very insignificant. It's a physical feeling. You can physically feel the difference. Your whole body shifts. Your whole body moves. You physically feel it. In your heart, you feel different. So too, when you feel the mitzvah of being in awe of Hashem, means you have to feel the presence of Hashem. 
When you feel the presence of Hashem, that it physically changes you. God is standing right in front of me. The King of Kings is standing right in front of me. So no matter how brilliant you are and how intelligent you are and how accomplished you are, you feel insignificant and you feel humbled and you feel you're standing in the presence of greatness. So unless it has a physical effect on you, you have not yet fulfilled the mitzvah of, of fear of Hashem. So this is the question that Rebbe is asking. For the Bainini, which is potentially 99.9% of us, since we cannot truly change our bodies, we can't truly change our egos, we can't really affect our subconscious, and we can live a lifetime of Torah, mitzvot, of discipline, of doing the right thing, and never ever doing the wrong thing, in thought, speech, or action, but nevertheless we cannot truly affect the change, we can't change ourselves subconsciously, our egos will always remain. So the question is, why all this effort? So much effort, we're pouring so much effort into engaging the body and connecting the body to the divine when the body remains untouched, the body remains unmoved. You can pour and pour so many holy thoughts and so many holy speech and so many holy actions and mitzvot, infinite amount of mitzvot throughout your lifetime, years, decades. At the end of the day, you remain unchanged. It's not like you become transformed, you become saintly, you become a divine person, a saintly person. You remain egotistical. And, you know, as people go older, your ego goes into transitions. You have different expressions of ego. A younger person expresses his ego. They live a wild life. They want to live a wild, free life, experiment. You grow a little older. You buckle down a little. Your ego, same ego. But now... Now you want to indulge in life, and you want to travel, you want to experiment. And as you grow a little older, older people, they lose some of their bacchanalian youthful energy. Now their life centers around honor. Their ego expresses also honor. They want to be honored, and they want to be respected, and they're always worried about their honor, and their kavod, and their... It's the same ego. So here you're spending your life studying Torah, doing mitzvot, and yet the ego remains unrefined, arrogant, egotistical, impossible. Same, nothing changed. So it seems hopeless. What's the point? Why pour so much energy in, in engaging the body and engaging the physical when the body and the physical remain untouched and unmoved and unchanged by all of this outpouring of the divine of Torah and mitzvot? Were Hashem to set up life that life is a struggle, a wrestling match, and it's divine versus the body, and therefore our focus would be on those things that touch the divine, on meditation, spirituality, sublime music, and the body remains untouched. Fine. So there, the, the soul wins over the body, it's a wrestling match. That would make sense. But the, the whole of Judaism is centered around engaging in the body. And unless you gauge the body, the soul is not connected to the divine. And that makes no sense. Why? What's the point? What's the purpose? That's what Dr. Rebbe is started to address in chapter 35, and he will continue on to the next few chapters. And he begins explaining with the Zohar. The Zohar says, King Solomon, the wisest of all men, said, that the wise man his head, I'm just, we're still recapping what we learned last time, that the wise man, his eyes are in his head. Um, firstly, it's not only a wise man whose eyes are in his head, everyone's eyes are in their head. <laughs> Where else do you have your eyes? 
<laughs> you, don't need, you don't need King Solomon to teach us that a, a person's eyes are in his head. You don't need the wisest of all men to teach us. So what does he mean? So the Zohar explains what he means is that a person is not allowed to go, a man is not allowed to walk four cubits, like six feet, without wearing a yarmulke, a head covering. Why does a Jew need a head covering? Because of the Shekhinah, because of God's presence that hovers over our heads. When you sense God's presence hovering over your head, you have to cover, and out of humility, you have to cover. The name Yamuka comes from two words, Yare Meloka. He's afraid of Eloka, he's afraid of the king, he's afraid of God. You're in awe of God. A Jew doesn't worship his own mind. He knows that there's something greater than our mind, there's something greater than all of us put together. And that's the Shekhinah, God's presence that hovers over us. And therefore, you walk around with a head covering. Women don't walk around with head coverings before they're married because they have this naturally, innately. They have this sense of connection, the sense of awareness of the divine. But the men need something external to remind them of the Shekhinah that rests and hovers over us. Actually, the Shekhinah is actually in the feminine. So the woman, she is an embodiment of the feminine aspect of the divine. She doesn't need a yarmulke to remind her. But the male needs a reminder of the manifestation of the divine that hovers over each and every one of us. Now, how do you feed this light that hovers over us? This light, you have to feed it. How do you feed this light? So in order to feed light, you need two things. You need a wick and you need oil. So what's the wick? The wick is our body. The oil is the, are the mitzvot. The mitzvot feed this light. When your body does a mitzvah, you're lighting the wick, and the oil feeds the light. What happens? Why do you need oil? What happens if you light just the wick without any oil? Well, firstly, it's going to light very quickly. One, two, three, and then it's gone. It's over. Secondly, the light itself is not a clear light. Because oil, I mean the wick, is not really material that's easily absorbed in the light. Fire is matter transformed into energy. So you need a certain material that's easily absorbed within the light. Oil is easily absorbed within the light. So when the wick is fed by the oil, not only does the wick last, and it lasts as long as you don't have oil, but the oil is easily transformed into light. Because oil is, could become one with the light, could become transformed into light. You may ask, why would a person need mitzvot to nourish the divine, the divine shechina, divine presence that hovers over us? Isn't it enough that each and every one of us has a divine soul, a divine essence? We have a divine spark, we have a pintaliyid, so we're already connected with God. We're born with that connection. It's innate, it's inherent. Why do you need mitzvah to feed that connection when the connection is already there? So it's counterintuitive. It's not something you would think of on your own. As a matter of fact, all religions and all mysticisms actually take that position. You don't need mitzvah to be connected with God. You just have to reveal the innate, divine connection that you have. It's inherent, that you're born with, and you're already connected. comes along the Torah and revolutionizes and says no in order to be connected with God it's not enough your innate connection with God your soul connection is not enough 
as a matter of fact, the only way for the soul to connect to God is by doing a mitzvah. And that's why this is a statement only made by King Solomon, the wisest of all men. Because it's not an obvious statement. That the wise man, only the wise man, the discerning man, is able to look at the, look at the your eyes are on your head. Your eyes should focus on the shechina that's on your head. And how do you nourish that shechina? How do you uh, nurture the shechina? How do you feed the shechina? Only through mitzvah. Your body, your soul is a wick. And it's the mitzvah that actually nurture and nourish and that connection. So this is counterintuitive. Why is that? It makes no sense. If anything, it should be just the opposite. Because the wick, we said, cannot easily be absorbed in the light. It needs the oil, because oil is material that's easily absorbed in the light. So you would think that it's just the opposite. Mitzvot are physical, material, tangible. A mitzvah should be like a wick. How could a mitzvah become absorbed in the divine? If anything, it's the soul. The soul is spiritual. Meditation, music, spirituality. That should be easily absorbed in the divine. And yet, Judaism says the exact opposite. The soul cannot become absorbed in the divine. The soul is like a wick. It's not material that's easily absorbed and could become unified with the divine. You want to know what could become unified with the divine? The physical mitzvah. When you physically take a match and light a candle Friday before Shabbat on the right time. When you physically put on tefillin. When you physically give tzedakah. Even when you fulfill the sublime mitzvot. When you pray, you have to physically move your mouth and say the prayers. When you love God but in a way that it physically affects you. When you're in awe of God and it physically affects you. Your being. Only then do you fulfill the mitzvah. Only then are you connected to the divine. Only then do you become absorbed with the divine. So this is, this is revolutionary. This is counterintuitive. Why is it? What's the explanation? We started learning that the explanation is, what is the definition of the Shekhinah? In order to understand why it's the mitzvah that helps us become absorbed in the divine, while the soul cannot be absorbed in the divine, which is the Shekhinah, we have to understand what is the Shekhinah. What do you mean the Shekhinah? God's presence. God is manifest. God is everywhere. What do you mean God is manifest? God is present. So the definition of the Shekhinah is that wherever you realize that there's no other reality but God, what is God's presence? When is God's presence manifest? When it expresses the truth that there is no other existence but God. Not that there is a God, or that God is unified, or that God is infinite, or God is transcendent, or God is great. No. Omnipotent, omniscient, no. The definition of Shekhinah is, when is God's presence manifest? When you sense the truth, that nothing exists besides God. There's nothing else but God. There's nothing else. Everything in the world is just a reflection of God. There's nothing but God. God is woven to the very fabric of our being. There's nothing else. We're just a projection. There's nothing else but God. There's no... Therefore, now we can understand why the soul cannot be connected to the divine. No matter how sublime and how spiritual and how great you are, even the angels, disembodied souls and spirits in the highest levels of consciousness and the most mind-blowing experience and the most sublime music and the sublime art can connect you with God. 
there's an unbridgeable gap. Why? Because the soul, by its very definition, is I. There's an I. The soul is an entity that's separate from God. Even when you love God, there's you and there's God. And you are loving God. You're trying to connect with God. You're trying to, to be attached to God. So there's you and there's God. That's already a lie. That's already a distortion. You're already disconnected. So you cannot become, the soul cannot become, truly become absorbed within God. Because the definition of God's presence and manifestation is the truth that there is nothing else exists but God. But that's impossible. Because by its very definition, when you're trying to connect with God and you're trying to meditate and become spiritual and become close to God, you're already an entity that's separate and apart from God. So you're already disconnected from God. So there's an unbridgeable gap, unbridgeable chasm between us and God. So we are like the wick, the soul and spirituality and meditation and religion and love and philosophy, all of that. It's like a wick. It's not absorbable material. We don't have what it takes to become absorbed within God. All the religion in the world and all the mysticism in the world and all the meditation in the world doesn't get us closer to God even one iota. You know what gets us close to God? You know what enables us to become absorbed and become one with God? What is the oil? The mitzvah. The physical mitzvah. When you take your hand in your pocket and give to Dukkah. When you physically light the match before Shabbos. When you physically put on the tefillin. When you physically move your lips and say the prayers. Say Shema Yisrael and Shem Shem When you shake the lulav and the esrog and you blow the shofar and you eat the matzah and all the 613 mitzvahs. And even in your love of God, when the love becomes palpable and physical, you can physically feel its effect, its impact on you. Only then could you become connected to the divine. Why? Why does the mitzvah connect us with God? And the explanation is because the mitzvah is the divine will. You may ask, well, everything that exists in this world is by here by divine will. Everything is divine providence. Nothing exists in this world without the divine. So God wants every detail, every aspect of this world is by divine will and divine providence. So what do you mean only the mitzvah is divine will? And the answer is, everything in this world is what we call the external will. It's a means to an end, just like in our own lives. There are many things we do, not because we really want to do it. It's just a means to an end. Many people go to work, not because they want to go to work. The proof is, if they didn't have to, they wouldn't. They want to earn the money, or the status. So they go to work. If you won the lottery tomorrow, would you still go to work? Then we'll find out if you really want to go to work. It was just a means to an end. If you won the $150 million lottery, would you still show up tomorrow for work? <laughs> it was just a means to an end. So I want to do it, and I even enjoy what I'm doing, but that's not, that's not what it's about. It's just a means to an end. So, so too. When God created the world, He created the whole universe. Angels, higher levels of consciousness, spirituality, body, soul, material, spiritual. He created the whole world and He wants every detail. It's important, every detail is relevant and He needs it and He wants it. But it's just a means to an end. What is the end? What is the purpose? Why did He create the whole universe? What's it all about? The mitzvah, that's what He wanted. He wants the Jew to do the mitzvah. That's what it's all about. He wants us to put on tefillin. That's why He created the whole universe. There's no other reason. He wants us to light the Shabbat candles. He wants us to give tzedakah. He wants us to move our lips and pray. 
He wants us to fulfill the 613 mitzvot. That's his will. That's what he wants. Everything else is a means to an end. So therefore, in the mitzvah, when the mitzvah, since this is the divine will, this is the whole purpose, this is what God wants, therefore when you do the mitzvah, the mitzvah itself is divine. This, the mitzvah, is able to become absorbed within the divine because the mitzvah is an expression of the divine will. There is no hiding, there is no concealment. The whole entire world is called olam. Olam comes from the Hebrew word helem. It's hidden, it's concealed because it's only a means to an end, it's external. But the divine the will itself, the mitzvah itself, this is the inner will of Hashem. There's no hiding, no concealment. God is manifest, God is present. So when you do a mitzvah, you're expressing the truth of Hashem, that there is no other reality but God. You're expressing that this is the whole purpose of creation. There's nothing else. All there is is, is the divine. Everything was created in order to implement the divine will, in order to fulfill the divine will. So when you go ahead and you do a mitzvah, the Jew goes ahead and fulfills the 613 mitzvah, you are revealing the truth. You are manifesting and revealing the truth that there's nothing else exists but God. There's no other reality but God. The whole universe is only created in order to fulfill the divine will and the divine purpose. And that's why the mitzvah is the oil. The mitzvah is the only thing that could become absorbed within God. It doesn't matter if it's a simple mitzvah or it's a complex mitzvah doesn't matter yes there may have been circumcision before Abraham it doesn't matter since Hashem wanted circumcision since this is became the will of Hashem this is what Hashem wants this is the language of God this is the divine language this is our bridge this is our connection to the divine there is no other connection to the divine. all the religion and all the mysticism in the world doesn't get us one iota closer to God the only language that we have the only connection that we have to the divine are the 613 mitzvah. Halacha, the code of Jewish law. Every letter, every word in the code of Jewish law. This is the divine will. This is the manifestation of the divine essence. This is what God wants. This is, there is no other reality but God. So when you go ahead and fulfill the mitzvah, and physically do the mitzvah with your body, you are absorbed within the divine. Okay, we left off last week. Let's continue. Um, on the bottom of 457. For the soul of man. For the soul of man, even if he be a perfect tzaddik who serves God with fear and love of delights, i.e. his love consists of delighting in the experience of godliness, a most lofty form of love, is nevertheless not utterly nullified out of existence so that it might be dissolved into and absorbed within God's light, to be merged with it in perfect unity. It is rather a separate entity which fears God and loves Him. Since it is not absorbed within the godliness as oil is absorbed within a flame, the soul cannot serve as oil for the light of the Shekhinah. Even the complete tzaddik, <laughs> the highest level of the tzaddik, as we, as we learned earlier, who serves Hashem with love and with awe, and who has completely sublimated his entire being, his subconscious, completely transformed his being. He has his egoless, has no longer any ego, the highest level. And yet, there's still an ego, there's still, there's still sugism, there's still an entity. There's still an entity that's connecting with God by its definition. The fact that you're connecting with God and you're loving God means that, that there's a separate entity. 
So you may feel the tzaddik may be like the <laughs> angel, a light, a light that's drawn to its source, a light that senses that it's nothing without its source. It's constantly connected with its source. It wants to become absorbed with the source. And the light is constant agitation. Vibrates. The tzaddik is constantly vibrating in love and awe. Constantly is alive. But nevertheless, it's the light of the sun outside the sun. There's the sun, then there's the light of the sun. It's a separate entity. It's a connected entity. It's a dependent entity. It's nothing without the sun. It realizes it. There's no ego. It's completely nullified. But it, there's the sun and there's the light outside the sun. It's a separate entity. It's a direct contradiction to the essence of God that there is nothing else exists but God. All there is is the sun. There is no light outside the sun. And by the way, that's why the tzaddik is so agitated. That's why the angel is so agitated. The angel senses this. The angel realizes that no matter how spiritual, how sublime it is, it feels like it's outside. It's in the outside looking in. And it feels that it's not really connected with God. And it feels that its being, its entity, is a direct, a spiritual entity. is a direct contradiction to God. It's not only an egotistical, arrogant person who is a direct contradiction to God. The spiritual, sublime tzaddik. His entity is a direct contradiction to the essence of God. And therefore the tzaddik is completely crushed and nullified by that. The tzaddik is, it bothers the tzaddik. That's why the tzaddik and the angel are constantly agitating, they're constantly praising God. We say in davening every morning, the angels with a great tumult are constantly, because they're in agitation, because they realize no matter how spiritual they are and how sublime they are, and the angel completely transcends us. Talmud says an angel is like a third of the world. Take all the brains and all the intelligence of the world put together, one angel equivalent of a third of all the intelligence that exists in this world. Because an angel is in tune with other dimensions, higher dimensions, there are infinite amount of angels. There's a whole other realms of reality that's totally beyond the laws of physics as we know it. A completely different dimension, a higher dimension. But and no matter how spiritual and how sublime an angel is, an angel feels agitated. An angel is, is constantly... Because an angel knows and senses that it's not connected with God. The fact that it's an entity is already... It's a light of the sun outside the sun, so even though it knows that it's a light and it's dependent on its source and constantly points to its source and is connected to its source... It feels it's a direct contradiction to the essence of God, that there's nothing else exists but God. How could there be a light outside the sun? So no matter how sublime the tzaddik is, the tzaddik is a separate entity from God. Continue. Not so with mitzvot and good deeds, which are God's will, each commandment representing God's desire that a particular act be performed. Now, God's will is the source of life for all the worlds and the creatures. They live only because God so desired. So the question is, everything in this world is really an expression of God's will. Nothing in this world is without the will of God. Nothing. Everything is divine providence, the tiniest detail. So what's the difference between Torah, mitzvah, and everything else that exists? The difference between the divine will expressed in mitzvot and that same will as expressed in creation lies in the latter's descending to them by means of many contractions, tzim tzumim, and by concealment of the countenance, the internal aspect of the supernal will, with only the external superficial aspect of God's will expressing itself in creation, and through a descent from level to level. All these steps were necessary. 
so that it would be possible for the worlds and creatures to come into being and to be created ex nihilo, as separate entities, without becoming nullified out of existence as mentioned above, without the previously enumerated forms of concealment of godliness, all created beings would be so completely nullified before the divine will that created them that they would have no independent identity. Thus the divine will expressed in creation can come about only through its seeming contraction, occultation, and descent. The mitzvot, on the other hand, are the internal aspect of the divine will. There, the countenance is not hidden at all. For on the contrary, mitzvot are the underlying purpose, the inner aspect of will, of creation in its entirety. To illustrate by way of example, one engages in business so that he will realize a profit and thereby support his family. In all, he wants the business to prosper, wants the profits, and wants to provide for his family. Yet, his true inner will lies only in supporting his family. His desire for profit is merely incidental or external to this will, and his desire for business even more so. So too with the divine will as expressed in creation and as expressed in the mitzvot. The desire for creation is an external will. It is generated by the inner, i.e. ultimate, desire that Jews observe the mitzvot, obviously an impossibility without a created world. Because the mitzvot represent God's true inner will, and because in them there is no concealment of this will, unlike the case in creation, therefore the godly life force within them is by no means a separate entity, but is united with and contained within God's will, and they, the mitzvot, are truly joined in perfect unity with God's will. Hashem's will was that there should be a world, a world where godliness is hidden, a very egotistical world, where we do separate ourselves, we do sense ourselves as being separate from Hashem, separate from God, and even independent from God. And yet, nevertheless, we fulfill the will, the divine will. In the world of emanation, there are no mitzvot. It's like no one is going to make a big deal if the soul tells the body to move, and the body, when you move your hand, no one is going to reward the hand for moving. Why not? Why doesn't anyone make a big deal? I wanted to move my hand, and my hand listened. My hand is religious. It obeyed. I asked it to move, and it moved. No one's going to make a big deal. Because what's the big deal? Of course the hand will move. Because a hand is nothing without the soul. A hand doesn't even feel itself. A hand is egoless. A hand is completely unified with the soul. So of course, the hand is the soul. The soul is the hand. Whatever the, the soul wants, the hand is completely unified with the soul. A living body, a healthy body is, is alive. It's one with its life. It's inseparable. So too the, the world of the divine emanation in that world, it's no big deal. You can't, there's no mitzvah. What do you mean? You can make a big deal that you listen to God. There's no pleasure. The pleasure is if you ask someone else, a stranger, to do something and they did it. They did exactly what you asked them to do. You get tremendous pleasure. They didn't have to do it. They could have, they could have not done it and yet they did it on their own. They willingly did it. It gives you tremendous pleasure. So the whole concept of a mitzvah is that God created a separate world, a world which is egotistical, a world which is separate, like our world, very fragmented, 
We live in this world, and God asks us to do mitzvah, 613 mitzvahs. We have a choice. We could easily not do it. And we choose to do it. We choose life. We choose good. We choose truth. This gives God tremendous pleasure. That's what God wanted. That's what gives Him pleasure. That's what He desired. And this is the whole purpose of creation. That's why He created the whole world, the whole universe. So everything else in creation is a means to an end. It's a backdrop. It's a prop. It's just a means to an end. In order for Hashem to get the pleasure that He wants, in order for Him to be able to give us the mitzvah, and that the mitzvah should have meaning, he created a world which where he's hidden and concealed. A very egotistical world. So that's only the external expression of God's will. But the mitzvah itself, this is the purpose. This is what it's all about. So when you do a mitzvah, it's actually an expression of the divine. It's an expression of the truth that nothing exists but God. That everything that God created is only here to fulfill the divine purpose. No other reason. There is no other reason that it exists. Nothing is an entity in itself. Nothing really exists only, well, I exist because I exist. I am because I am. No. Everything that exists is only here for one reason and one reason only. In order for us to be able to fulfill the Torah and the mitzvah. There's no other reason. There's no other purpose. As Rashi says right in the beginning of the Torah, the second Rashi in the Torah, the chief rabbi of the Jewish people, Bereshis, says Rashi, Be'ez Rashi, the very first word in the Torah. Bereshis in the beginning, Rashi says, also has the meaning of Beis Rashis. There are two beginnings. In other words, there's two reasons why the world is created. In order for the Jew and for the Torah, for a Jew to fulfill Torah. That is the whole reason why God created heaven and earth. There is no other reason. That's why He created angels, that's why He created the spiritual realms, that's why He created the, the physical realms. There is no other reason. So when you're doing a mitzvah, you're fulfilling the divine will. So you are a united with the truth that there's no other reality but God. The mitzvah becomes the oil that fuels the divine, that fuels the manifestation of the divine in this world. You want to, you want to continue? It is thus clear why, in the above-mentioned metaphor, the mitzvot can serve as oil for the light of the Shekhinah, for they are truly absorbed within and transformed into the light of the divine will just as oil is absorbed within a flame. The Alter Rebbe will arrive at this conclusion after a preliminary discussion on what the Zohar means when it says that the light of the Shekhinah, quote, rests, end quote, on man. This exposition now follows. The resting of the Shekhinah means, i.e., when we single out a specific object from a world filled with the Shekhinah by saying that the Divine Presence rests upon that object, its uniqueness lies in the revelation of godliness and the Ein Sof light in that particular object. This means to say that this object is comprised within God's light and is nullified out of existence toward him. It has no separate identity. For only then can the one God rest upon it, upon that object, and reveal himself in it. But anything not completely nullified out of existence toward the godly light cannot have God's light rest and reveal itself within it. Even a perfect tzaddik who cleaves to him with, quote, abundant love, end quote, a most lofty level of love and attachment to God, yet even in the case of such a tzaddik, no thought can truly grasp him at all. For the true implications of the phrase, 
God is the true Lord, is his unity and oneness, that he alone exists and there is absolutely nothing besides him. As explained in chapter 20, the statement, quote, God is one, end quote, means not only that he is the sole God, but also that he is the only being that truly exists. All else is totally nullified before him. If so, this person, i.e. the above-mentioned tzaddik, who loves God and who is a separate being in his own self-perception, as is evident from the very fact that he loves God, rather than a non-entity, no thought of his can grasp him at all. Even the tzaddik cannot grasp God and therefore become one with him through the faculties of his own soul. Therefore, God's light does not abide or manifest itself in him except through the fulfillment of mitzvot, which constitute his actual will and wisdom without any, quote, concealment of countenance, end quote. Since the inner aspect of the divine will stands revealed only in the mitzvot, it is only by means of them that the light of the Shekhinah rests upon man, not through spiritual devotion alone. See, even when the tzaddik understands and grasps, grasps Hashem, and even when he grasps this concept that nothing exists but God, but again, it's your mind grasping and your mind understanding, and your mind is finite and limited. So it's, it's separate. You can't truly grasp, you can't truly comprehend that I am an non-entity. It, it just, a person can't, he can't leap over yourself. You can't jump over yourself. You can't think out of the box. By, it's by your very definition, the fact that you're grasping and that you're thinking and that you're comprehending means that there is an entity that's comprehending. It's something outside that's that's trying to understand and trying to wrap its mind around it and trying to grasp it. So by definition, you're already a separate entity. So it's impossible. It's an impossibility. It happens that Hashem is in each one of us, so there is some sort of Hashem being inside of us that we're connected to, so even though we may be a separate entity, we're still... But the only way to truly, to truly um, ignite that spark that we have the only way to truly fuel that spark and to reveal that is only through Torah and Mitzvah. There is no other way. Just relying on your soul, just relying on your spiritual devotion alone, and that's the mistake of all religions and all mysticisms. Now, God is not spiritual. Spirituality, you know, could be the ultimate ego trip. It's, it's already a separation. No matter how sublime and how great and how deep and how penetrating and how... It's impossible. Because the moment you're thinking, it's already there's a separate entity. It's thinking about, about God. It's not God. So it's already a contradiction to the truth that nothing exists but Hashem. So the only way to truly ignite the divine within us and to truly set it on fire and to fuel that fire, a steady, sustained flame, is only through mitzvah. Because the mitzvah is the divine. That's the divine will. There's no concealment. The mitzvah is the divine. And the mitzvah expresses the truth that nothing exists but God. This is the ultimate purpose. This is, what, this is what it's all about. This is what God wanted. So when you're fulfilling the mitzvah, you're fulfilling the divine will, you're expressing the divine will. So your whole being at that moment just becomes an expression of the divine will. So your whole entity becomes an expression of the divine will. 
So you're expressing the truth and nothing exists but God. That you are just here to express the divine will, nothing else. So you're part of the divine truth. By you expressing the divine will, by you living the mitzvot and living the Jewish life and thinking like a Jew and speaking like a Jew and acting like a Jew, you are becoming absorbed within the divine. You are becoming part of the divine truth. That your life is a manifestation of that truth. The whole life, the whole being, this is the whole purpose, is just here to do the will of God, to do the mitzvot. There's nothing else. So you become a living truth, part of that living truth, a living, part of that living reality. And you manifest that living truth. You manifest that reality. You fuel the Shekhinah. That becomes the oil that feeds the, the, the light, the Shekhinah. Now he adds in the note. Concerning his aforementioned statement that the Ein Sof light reveals itself only within that which is totally nullified before God and absorbed within him, the Alter Rebbe notes, This accord with what I heard from my teacher, the Magid of Mezrich, peace upon him, on the meaning of and the reason behind the statement of the Eitz Chaim, that the Ein Sof light does not unite itself even with the world of Atzilut, or emanation, except by first vesting itself in the attribute of Chochmah, wisdom. The Magid, A, explained the meaning of the Ein Sof's vesting itself in Chochmah. B, provided the reason that it does not unite with Atzilut, except by way of Chochmah. This is because the Ein Sof is, quote, the true one, end quote, which means that he alone exists, and there is naught beside him. And this, in fact, is the level of Chochmah. The attribute of Chochmah represents the perception of godliness as the sole existing being. This, then, is the meaning of the Ein Sof's Quote, clothing, end quote, itself in the attribute of Chachmah. The revelation of Ein Sof as one alone with naught besides him. And for this reason, the Ein Sof does not unite with any world or level except by way of Chachmah. For as stated above, God abides, may be united with, only where there is no sense of self or separation from him only in that which is pervaded by the spirit of he alone and not besides him. And this spirit constitutes the attribute of Chochmah, as stated. This note expresses a profound Hasidic concept. After further study of the Tanya, we will understand it more clearly. In the note, he adds that he heard from his teacher, the famous Rabbi Dov Ber, the Magid of Mizrich, the second leader of the Hasidic movement, the disciple of Hashem that it says that the infinite light illuminates the world of emanation, the world of Atzilut, through its highest sphere, which is the sphere of Chachma. Why Chachma? Only Chachma. Why is Chachma, wisdom, a vessel for the infinite light? Because wisdom is the sense. It's a sense. It's more like an intuition. We are created in the image of God. So, so by understanding Chachma within us, wisdom within us, the creative ability within us, it helps us understand the wisdom, the divine wisdom. The infinite wisdom, divine wisdom. So just like wisdom within us, wisdom is more of a sense, like an intuition. And it's the most egoless. The creative person really has to be an open person, a person who's egoless, 
And it's the creative person that has the window to the soul, has the window to the subconscious. It's able to receive a communique, an I am, from a different level of existence, from your subconscious. Suddenly you have a eureka, you have a, 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 um, a lightning flash, an illumination, a clarity that comes seemingly out of nowhere. You're puzzling over something, you're confused, you're confounded, and suddenly out of nowhere you have this creative, brilliant flash, this eureka moment. Where did it come from? You don't know where it comes from. It seemingly, seemingly comes out of nowhere. So Chachma is a vessel for this communication from this infinite part within us. It totally transcends our rational, logical mind. Because Chachma is that a sense. It's more of a sense of a thing. It's, it's not yet verbalized. The word Chachma itself comes from the word Koyachma. What is it? I don't know what it is. I can't put it into words yet. It's just a flash. Like a, a, a moment, a brilliant moment of illumination. Like in your dream. You just have a vision, a moment. And it can easily fade away because it's not verbalized yet. Even to yourself, you can't articulate it yet. It's just a sense, a felt sense, that it's right. It makes sense. Now I get it. But you still don't have words. You can't even explain it to yourself. Then comes Bina, the second, the analytical ability that starts finding the right words and you get a handle on it and you start building a structure and... And then you're able to communicate it to yourself and communicate it to others. But Chachma, it's more like the entrepreneur, the creative person, who's, you know, it's more like a sense, an intuition, an intuitive sense. So Chachma is really, is that sense of humility, of not knowing. I don't know. Being open to something new. When you feel confused, confounded, I don't know. And then, that's when you become a vessel and a vehicle in order to receive something that's like infinite, something that's totally beyond, that shatters your boundaries, something, something totally new, unexpected, a revelation, like a shattering revelation. And it takes you into a whole new direction. And you would never think of it in a million years. It's not something that's analytical and logical, it's something that's a breakthrough. Unexpected, a revelation. And it hits you with the force of revelation. It's like a, a revelation from a different part of your being that you're not even aware of your subconscious a communicate so Chachma is that ability to sense something that's beyond yourself it's egoless the creative person has to be an ego has to have in a certain sense has to have a certain egolessness an openness a sense of not knowing a sense of open to the mystery of life to the infinite mystery of life and by being open to it, then he can receive this revelation. It becomes a vessel and a vehicle to receive the revelation of the soul from a different dimension, a more infinite dimension. So this is an analogy from our own personal experience. We can extrapolate the same is true in the divine wisdom, in the world of emanation. That Chachma is that sense, that intuition, that sense that nothing exists but God. So it's like an intuition, a sense, a sense of complete self-nullification. So it's the closest we get. It's the closest we can get. It's the window to the souls, the window to the infinite. It's the closest we can get to egolessness, to rising above your ego, going beyond your ego, beyond your rigid sense of self, and being open to the infinite, dynamic flux of reality of Hashem. So, chachma, so why is Chachma the window to the soul? Why is Chachma? the vessel to receive the infinite light, because Chachma is egolessness. 
So the only way that the only way to become a vessel to God is by being egoless. The analytical part, bina, as brilliant as you are and as intelligent as you are and as knowledgeable as you are, that's actually a contradiction to God. Because it's not egolessness, it's I'm intelligent, I understand, I can grasp, I'm aware. It's that humility and that sense of egolessness, that's a vessel for the infinite. So that's Chachma. Chachma is the point of contact between the infinite and the world of divine emanation. And from Chachma, it filters throughout the rest of the world of emanation. And the reason is because, again, what is the infinite? What is the vessel for the infinite? What is the infinite? The infinite is the reality that there's no other reality but God. So the only thing that's a vessel for the infinite is a sense of egolessness. So that's also why the mitzvot, why the mitzvot are the only vessel vehicles for the infinite. The mitzvot are what helps us become absorbed in the infinite. Because the mitzvah is, is the divine will. <coughs> when you do a mitzvah, you become part of the divine will. You become absorbed in the divine will. Nothing interferes. Nothing gets in the way. It's clear. Everything else in this world is obscure. It's opaque. It's not clear. Because God hid himself. Because everything is the external will. Because that's what God wanted. He wanted to hide, to conceal in order to enable us to do a mitzvah. The whole meaning of a mitzvah is when God is hidden, and yet we do God's will. So everything in the world is just, is just a means to an end. God is hiding himself, obscuring himself. Everything is obscure. Everything is opaque. A mitzvah is clear. There's no hiding. There's no concealment. This is the will of God. This is open. This is revealed. This is, this is the whole purpose. This is what God wants. So when you do a mitzvah, you're participating. You become absorbed. You become part of the divine. So the mitzvah is the only thing that makes us become absorbed and unified with God. So that's the oil that feeds, that fuels the presence of God. That's the vessel, the vehicle that can allow the revelation of God in this world. So the only way to reveal God in this world is only by doing the mitzvah. And now he's going to explain, it's not just doing the mitzvah, it's the physical mitzvah. Because within mitzvah themselves, we also have mitzvah that are not physical. They're not active mitzvot. Mitzvot that are more related to thought. For example, studying Torah. Studying Torah, when a Jew studies Torah, you also bring a divine revelation. But that's not what he's discussing here. Because when you study Torah, it really affects your divine soul. It doesn't affect your body so much. Your ego. It's only through the mitzvah, the physical mitzvah, that engages your body. When you study Torah, you're putting your body to sleep. It's a soul activity. It's a divine activity. The soul becomes intimate with God, becomes unified with God, and it ignores the body. The soul gallops ahead, is living in a different world, a different dimension. The soul is in heaven, studying, studying God's Torah, studying the same thing that God is studying, and the world ceases to exist. The mitzvot, however, the physical mitzvot, engage the body. So when you study, when you do the mitzvah, that's when the divine presence engages and your body becomes absorbed in the divine presence. Your physical body becomes absorbed in the divine presence. Your ego becomes absorbed in the divine presence. Your animal soul becomes absorbed in the divine presence. Your your being becomes absorbed in the divine presence. Only through the physical mitzvah. 
which is why Judaism places such an emphasis on the mitzvah, the action and the deed. Why most of the mitzvot are physical, and must be physical, and engage the physical body. Because by engaging, by doing the physical mitzvah, not only does your divine soul become absorbed in the mitzvah, like he said, till now, the divine soul on its own right cannot truly become absorbed in the divine. Only through the mitzvah. But the divine soul could become absorbed through studying Torah. But how do you absorb your body? How do you get your body become absorbed within God? Become one with God. To fuel the flame. To become the oil that transforms and becomes one with God. That you must do the physical mitzvah, the deed, the action. The action is what matters most. Because when you engage and do the mitzvah with your body, your body becomes a vehicle, a vessel. The body becomes an expression, a living, dynamic expression of God, of God's will. It becomes clear, everything is clear, it becomes completely connected with God. So not only your divine soul becomes absorbed within God, but even your animal soul, your ego soul, your natural soul, your physical body becomes absorbed within God. And that's the purpose, that's what God wanted. God wanted that not only our divine soul should become one with God, but even our animal soul. And that's, that's, the, that's really the explanation, that's the answer that he's getting at to the question that he posed at the beginning of the chapter. Why the whole emphasis on the mitzvot, on engaging in the physical body, when we cannot truly change our body, we cannot truly change our, our subconscious, we can't truly sublimate ourselves. The answer is, yes, we make a tremendous change. Because when we engage in the body, the animal soul, our bodies, our egos become absorbed within the absolute unity of God. Only through the mitzvah. So even though we don't feel that connection, and we don't feel that change, but it has a tremendous impact on our being, on our entire beings. Not only our spiritual self, but also our physical self. Okay. The Alter Rebbe now returns to our subject of the light of the Shekhinah, which rests upon man only through the mitzvot, which alone can serve as oil for this light. He points out that the effect of this light upon the person performing a mitzvah varies from one category of mitzvot to another. Those mitzvot performed in one's thought and speech cause the light of the Shekhinah to rest upon the divine soul alone. Drawing this light upon the body and upon the animal soul requires the performance of mitzvot which involve action, where one harnesses the power of the animal, life-giving soul. In the Alter Rebbe's words, when a person studies Torah, using his powers of thought and speech, his neshama, his divine soul, with its two inner garments only, the faculties of speech and thought. Thought is obviously an internal garment, as it is connected to the soul itself. This is why thought functions ceaselessly. It is closely bound to the soul, and the soul's presence is constant. Speech, too, is internal when compared with action which acts upon objects outside the soul, are absorbed within the light of God, the Ein Sof, blessed be he, and are merged within it in perfect unity. A person has three uh, expressions, thought, speech, and action. Thought is the closest to the soul, just like the soul is constant. You never stop thinking. Even when you're sleeping, you're dreaming. You're constantly thinking. You can't stop thinking. You can change your thoughts, but you can't stop thinking. You can change the content of your thoughts, but you can't stop thinking. Speech, you could stop speaking. 
but uh, <laughs> some people could, right? But um, but uh, speech, even though speech is external, no one knows what you're thinking. But when you speak, but you speak to someone on your level. You speak to a human being. You're not going to go speak to a rock. Even though sometimes it feels like, you know, speech is something you speak to someone on your level. But action, however, action can affect anything. Even some, something that's not on your level. You can, you, can change, you can chisel a rock. You can do... Action is, doesn't have to be on your level. So action is the most external from all, all of the expressions of the soul. It's the furthest away from, from the soul. So he says that when you study Torah, or when you do a mitzvah that affects your thought and speech, that's your inner faculties. So then only your inner faculties become absorbed in the divine. Continue. This constitutes the resting of the Shekhinah on his divine soul, as our sages have said, when even one person applies himself diligently to Torah study, the Shekhinah is with him, meaning in this case that the Shekhinah rests upon his divine soul and upon his faculties of thought and speech, which are engaged in the mental and oral study of the Torah. However, in order to draw the light and radiation of the Shekhinah upon his body and animal soul as well, i.e. upon the vitalizing soul actually clothed in the body and providing for it a corporeal life force, one must fulfill the practical mitzvot, i.e. commandments involving the faculty of action, which are performed with the body itself. In this way, the actual power of the body engaged in this act, for example, when one dons to fill in, it is the physical strength in his arm that impels the motion that constitute the fulfillment of the mitzvah, and therefore this bodily power is absorbed in the divine light and will and merges with it in perfect unity. This power of the body constitutes the third garment of the divine soul. As mentioned in chapter 4, the divine soul expresses itself in the faculty of action through performing the mitzvot. When the faculty of action is absorbed within the divine will, then, in addition, the power of the vitalizing soul actually clothed within the body, the power of that soul derived from klipat noga, is transformed from evil to good and is actually absorbed into holiness, exactly like the divine soul. For it is the power of the animal soul that implements and performs the act that constitutes the mitzvah. True, the divine soul is the force motivating one's observance of a mitzvah, yet the divine soul cannot directly activate the body to perform a physical action. To don the tefillin, for example, it can accomplish this only through the agency of the animal soul, which serves as a medium between the divine soul and the body. In the Alter Rebbe's words, for without this power of the animal soul, the divine soul would not affect the body at all, since it is spiritual and the body physical and corporeal, so that body and divine soul are antithetical, as are the spiritual and material dimensions generally. The intermediary between them is the vitalizing animal soul clothed in man's blood, which is in his heart and throughout his body. For the nature of the animal soul is such that the coarsest, most material-like level of its spiritual substance is capable of clothing itself within the blood. Since the animal soul is the divine soul's medium of affecting the body, its active power 
is also absorbed into holiness when one performs a mitzvah. So he's saying that when you do the mitzvah, the physical mitzvot, which are the majority of the 613 mitzvot, which have to be physical, you have to do it with your body. And the body, although the motivation, what's motivating you to do the mitzvah? It's your divine soul. You want to do something godly. So you're motivated to connect with the divine. But the only way to do the mitzvah, you cannot do the mitzvah unless the body cooperates. The body is the one that's actually moving your hand because it's the soul, it's the, it's the life force, it's the blood within you that's pushing your hand, the food that you ate and the life force within you, the natural uh, life force, that part within you that wants to continue to live, that wants to um, um, self, self-preservation, that part within you, your ego, your natural self. It's that part that's actually doing the mitzvah. So the godly soul cannot do the mitzvah without the body. The only way to physically do the mitzvah, the divine soul can think, can speak even, can meditate. But to physically do the mitzvah, you need to engage the body. You need to engage the animal soul. So the actual energy and strength that's moving your hand to do the mitzvah, that's your animal soul that's moving. So therefore, your animal soul becomes absorbed and connected with God. Because without it, it cannot... You cannot do the mitzvah. You cannot fulfill the will of Hashem. The will of Hashem was to physically do the mitzvah. The only way to physically do the mitzvah is by engaging the animal. So the animal soul participates and becomes a full participant and becomes a living part of this truth, of this reality of the divine inner will of creation, the whole inner will of God, the whole purpose of creation. It becomes a major actor in this whole drama. It becomes a major part, an essential part in this whole, in in, uh, fulfilling and implementing the divine will. Without the active soul, without the natural soul, you cannot implement the divine will. So since you cannot implement the divine will without the natural soul, it becomes an integral and essential part of this, of this mitzvah. And therefore, the divine, the animal soul, ego soul, the natural soul becomes completely absorbed within God. This energy and force that's pushing your hand to light the candles, the bat candles, pushing your hand to give the tzedakah, pushing your hand to do any of the mitzvah, becomes absorbed within the absolute unity of God. So it's amazing. The divine soul, per se, cannot become absorbed within God. No matter how spiritual and how sublime you are. But this fun-loving, fun-seeking, ego, natural self that wants to live in hot blood itself, by you physically doing the mitzvah, it becomes completely absorbed within the unity of God. That becomes the fuel that actually transforms into the light, into the fire, into the flame, into the divine flame, the Shekhinah, that's hovering over you. You feed and nourish and sustain that flame by physically doing the mitzvah. And not only your divine soul becomes connected through Torah, but through the mitzvah, even your animal soul and your body and your physical self and your physical arm and the the power of your soul pushing your arm to do the mitzvah become one and absorb within the absolute unity of God, within the truth that there is no other reality but God. They become a manifestation of that truth in this physical world. What a concept. Instead of the body being looked at as a maya, as an illusion, and the body being secondary and incidental, and it's all about the afterlife, and the emphasis is on the world to come and the spiritual and the soul and love and meditation and the sublime comes Judaism and says no it's the opposite the whole emphasis is on this world in the physical the body is not just an afterthought the body is an integral part 
of the revelation of the Shekhinah, of the of God's presence, of the truth that there's no other reality but God. So the body becomes absorbed within God. Meditation and religion does not connect you with God. But your animal soul, your ego soul, your natural soul could become connected with the absolute essence of God by doing the mitzvah. What a gift, what a present. That we have the ability through mitzvah. You think a mitzvah is a ritual, a custom. A mitzvah connects you with the divine. You become absorbed with the divine. Your body becomes absorbed with the divine. Your physical, your animal self, your ego self becomes absorbed with the divine. The absolute unity of God. Through the mitzvah. Not only your divine soul becomes one with the divine, only through the mitzvah, and is elevated through the mitzvah, but even your animal self, our ego self, our bodies, physical selves, physical energies and abilities become one and absorbed within God through the mitzvah. This is, the, this is the greatest gift that God gave us. If you realize what a mitzvah is, what an opportunity. That by mitzvah you can accomplish more than all the meditation. You can meditate for a thousand years and you cannot accomplish what one single mitzvah can accomplish. A mitzvah is a ritual, a custom. A mitzvah is the essence. You have to give up your ego. <laughs> when you meditate, you know. Because yeah, you have to physically do the mitzvah. That's the ultimate, ultimate uh, act of egolessness, to do the will of God. That's the ultimate act of egolessness. Not to do what you want, to do what Hashem wants. <laughs> when you do what Hashem wants you to do, the inner will of Hashem, that's the ultimate uh, act of But even if you don't feel anything, even if you just do the mitzvah, Let's say you're not on a spiritual high. You're not spiritually sensitive. You're not jumping with joy and ecstasy. The fact is, you've done the mitzvah. The mitzvah connects you with the essence of God. But sometimes, a lot of times, you feel the resistance to doing the mitzvah. That's why you feel the resistance. Because, because the Yetzirah knows how powerful a mitzvah is. If the Yetzirah thought that the mitzvah is just a ritual, what, he, what does he care less? Do rituals, don't do rituals, knock your head against the wall, what do, you do, do whatever you want. If it makes you feel good, do it. The Yetzirah is terrified of a mitzvah, because he knows what a mitzvah is. A mitzvah is not just a ritual, because a mitzvah absorbs and connects you with the very essence of God. Think he's going to let you do a mitzvah so easily? <laughs> Roadblocks, obstacles. Because he knows the power of a mitzvah, physical power of a mitzvah. Physically putting your hand in your pocket and physically taking out that coin and physically giving it to the poor person. Oh, you want to sit and empathize with the poor person? You want to cry with them? So of course, he'll help you along. <laughs> but to physically, physically do the mitzvah, physically do, physically do the mitzvah, to actually do the act of kindness and to part with the, with the dollar bill, no, that's, that is not going to let you so quickly. Because he knows the power of a mitzvah how infinite, how, how far-reaching it is. How a mitzvah is the tool. This is the only thing we have. It's the only language we have. It's a divine language. There's no other language. There's nothing else that we can bridge the gap between us and God. Not religion, not mysticism, nothing. The only way we can bridge that connection and become absorbed within God, and not only our souls, our spiritual selves, sublime selves, but even our, our earthy, down-to-earth, physical selves, natural selves, ego selves, our blood, our energy, our strength, is through the mitzvah. To be continued.